welcome back everybody to Couch to Couch with Chuck LeBlanc. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. We are going to be talking with, I always say we, I don't know why, it's just me, whatever. <laughs> um, we're, I'm going to be having a conversation with Jennifer Jakowski today. Uh, so I'm going to introduce her, but I'm really excited for this guest because she has a, a big background, does a lot of work, and I think that we're going to be able to to dive down in some pretty existential and philosophic and spiritual places, which is going to be very cool. So Jennifer's journey towards the mental health field started in 1997 when she began her study of mental health, determined to understand how we think and why we feel, perceive, and experience life as we do. She resonates deeply with Nouwen's The Wounded Healer, as her desire to understand her own experiences of pain and suffering propelled her to want to use that understanding to help others. Though she is fully aware that every individual experience is unique, she is acutely aware that our patterns and responses are often quite similar. Her passion is to empower others to move from a state of surviving to a state of thriving. Love that. She does this by facilitating the learning and growth born from understanding and adjusting our perceptions and limiting beliefs. Her desire to grow and help others led her to pursue dual undergrad degrees, uh, first a Bachelor of Science and second a Bachelor of Social Work. She's worn many hats working in the field of mental health, including counselor, therapist, social worker, caseworker, consultant, course author, coach, and instructor. In order to further her ability to help others, she recently completed her Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology at Yorkville University. She is a Canadian certified counselor, registered psychotherapist qualifying, registered acceptance and commitment therapist, certified EFT slash TFT practitioner, She's also a certified life coach for adults and children, working with additional modalities such as mindfulness meditation, therapeutic art, and shamanic art healing. Well, all right. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're excited to have you on board. I wanted to just take a pause real quick and get you to help two things. One, help people find you, where, where you're at, and kind of some of the things you're working on, and also to plug any holes I might have missed while walking people through your background. Sure. Um, so for starting with where to find me, I have my website, which is myholisticselfcounseling.com. Um, you can find me on Psychology Today just by searching my name. I have a Facebook page that people can link to, which is just My Holistic Self. Um, you can find me on Therapy Tribe. You can find me on... <laughs> um, Oh, golly, so many different places. <laughs> my, um, I have a profile on uh, the Reiki Healing Association because I'm also a member there. Um, you can find me at Twillow Lifestyle because I uh, facilitate some classes with them. Um, I do have a YouTube channel and I am on Twitter, Twitter and LinkedIn. Admittedly, I am not very good at keeping up with social media stuff, but I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in the same boat. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so there is that. Um, I will um, write a blog when I feel led to do so, but I've been having some technical difficulties with the blog page. So, you know, that'll be dealt with when it's dealt with. Um, and I do other podcasts with, uh, I've done podcasts with um, Twilla Lifestyle and, and also I, I plan to continue to do those as the opportunity presents. Awesome. So you you have your hands in many cookie jars. It sounds <laughs> spider webbed into the whole plethora of the therapeutic and spiritual world. Yeah, I... My passion is to help people find their true self and whatever that looks like for them. And I do take a spiritual perspective, but it's not tied to any specific background or anything. Um, so it's really about finding that deeper meaning of what motivates us, mm -hmm. what brings us to life, what brings us joy um, and, and really connecting with that and then moving forward from there. Awesome. And I think that's a large part of what drives me in the practice as well. Meaning, uh, meaning making specifically. I mean, uh, human beings are meaning makers. It's what mm -hmm. we do. We're also storytellers at the same time. Mm -hmm. So what was your, what was your influence to go down the, the true self path or the meaning path? Well, um, 
I guess to get a little personal, so my background is growing up with a mom who has some mental health and drug and alcohol issues. Mm. Um, because of her borderline personality, undiagnosed, um, I spent a lot of time questioning my reality, questioning who I was, questioning mm. my understanding of my reality. Um, and so I started seeking answers. And I did that through exploring all different kinds of things, all philosophy, uh, spiritual teachings, all of that, and really found that to really understand and accept, I had to come to know who I was on a much deeper level. Mm. And then I was able to um, navigate what the world was throwing at me. That makes sense, right? Because I guess a lot of it would have to do with, I mean, questioning your reality is a big piece of it because... Mm -hmm. From what I've seen and from what I've experienced, questioning reality is the same way as saying questioning the lens in which you're understanding, uh, you know, what Lacan would say is the real. Everything you're seeing in front of you will filter through a lens, which comes from past experiences, stories we're telling ourselves, how we are interpreting, sometimes how we're feeling that day. Mm -hmm. Every, everybody's walked, woke up at the bad side of the day and just assumed the world was going to end. And then evidence had showed that it was that day, but then it doesn't. But um, so is, is that what you mean when it comes to like lens and context? Most definitely. Um, I mean, I love that you brought up Lacan and that idea to just, you know, and I, I talk about this with clients all of the time that every morning we put on a pair of glasses mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, they, they get broken throughout the day or we change them up or we layer them or we do all kinds of different things um, with them. It's almost like, um, and if you ever saw National Treasure, but <laughs> <laughs> they find those glasses, right? And then at different points, like you can lift and, and change and change the perception and things mm -hmm. like that. And, and yet none of us take them off and really see the world as it is without a bias, without any presumptions, um, without that narrative or that, mm -hmm. you know, reason making uh, that we that we do. Yeah, I often wonder about that. You know, with uh, one of the big pieces that I'm currently trying to understand with Lagan was the symbolic order, which is, in a sense, those lens that lenses. So, you know, for instance, before this podcast, we talked about how like I basically grew up in philosophy over the past like 15 years. So, part of the lens that I look at things with is on my past experiences through philosophy, so that it's informed. Mm -hmm. and crafted you know Foucault would say the practices that I was engaged in kind of helped me navigate the world this way but it's not necessarily the case that the world is only this or the self my who I am as a person is only this that there's multiple practices at play mm -hmm. so when you're trying to investigate that with a client or with yourself how do you figure out you know what practices are are in play yeah, so there is a couple of different, um, I mean, when we learn to look at modalities and things like that, that I really appreciate using. Um, one is just parts therapy and looking at all the different parts of us and all of the different lenses that they bring <laughs> to the picture. Yeah. Um, act and looking at the values piece and self as context and really understanding you know, our perception of ourselves. I love the Enneagram, super passionate about that. That's um, a personality profiling mechanism that really looks at the worldview that we hold and the defense mechanisms that we have formed to um, help us get through the errors that we see in the world and present ourselves in a way that feels safe and mm -hmm how we feel like we can be accepted and loved and, and all of these different things bring lenses that mm -hmm. we've put on. And so really learning what they are, I think is the first step in being able to start to remove them. Mm. So it's kind of like understanding what you're working with. Mm -hmm. So this is what I'm working with. This is the armor that I have on yeah. being compassionate with your tools because they were built for a reason. The experiences crafted them. They were chosen. And then starting to get more comfortable with a world where those lenses are taking off piece by piece. Yeah. And understanding that there might be times where you need them and where mm -hmm. they might be helpful. And there might be times where you don't and they're they're no longer serving you and being mm -hmm. able to kind of differentiate, you know, when and how to use them and if they need adjustments and if they need to be taken off completely. Mm -hmm. 
That's amazing. We talk a lot with clients and on this podcast about the use of tools. And we always talk about how these tools or lenses or ways of engaging with the world, they're never uh, bad or good. Judgment pieces is another lens we're using, right? Uh, and oftentimes it's a shame lens, but I'll just park that one because that's like an open, a giant can of worms for, for the moment. <laughs> but when you get past that, then you can look at your tools as efficient or inefficient. Mm-hmm. That's it. Is it called for in this situation? Or if it's too efficient, have you grown into a person and are now living a life where it doesn't need to be that efficient? And that's why it seems like things are stuck. Yeah, definitely. I love Shakespeare, the whole, you know, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. That's right. Right? And just that kind of idea that, you know, most of these things that we've put on throughout our life as survival mechanisms, as defense, um, as just these tools that may or may not serve us anymore, they came in a way to avoid pain, Mm -hmm. to avoid suffering, to avoid discomfort. And so again, going back to like acceptance and commitment therapy, the premise being learning how to have that kind of experiential acceptance. And it's not, you know, I I actually had another colleague who said, you know, I like allowance better than acceptance, Mm -hmm. right? Just this idea that it's okay to not be comfortable. Mm -hmm. It's okay to push that boundary, to allow myself to sit in a place where I you know, I'm struggling and I'm not really sure the next step and to say, it's okay to be here. I'm not going to stay here, but I can sit here for a little bit and then I can decide where I'm going to go. You have control over that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty, it's pretty amazing when like you microscope it. There's uh, one thing I talk about a lot. I think it's tied in is uh, Merleau-Ponty. Have you heard of Merleau-Ponty? So philosophy of perception or phenomenology of perception is like his claim to fame. Okay. And what he's talking about is that when you like walk into a room, Mm -hmm. you and the room are separate. The room does its own thing without you. You do your own thing without the room. But when you walk into it, the room is going to afford you certain perceptions. Mm -hmm. And this affordance comes from itself because like a cup is a cup. It does its thing. But the lens you're using to view the cup is also going to afford it certain things. I can choose if I'm going to put pudding into the cup or tea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be a teacup. That's the kind of idea, right? Where I can choose to smash the teacup. And because it's brittle, it's affording me the opportunity to smash it. But my choice is what smashed it. Whether that's a good idea or not, that's beside the point. (laughs) Right. So when we enter a certain circumstances, you know, there's where I'm going with this is that certain circumstances are going to arise that are going to afford you the opportunity to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. You didn't cause them to happen. You know, I was bullied a lot going, growing up. I didn't walk into school and go, you know, be a great idea. Being beaten up and stuffed in a locker. Yeah, that's how I'm going to spend my Tuesday morning, I think. <laughs> right. Right. I didn't choose that or I didn't choose to be smaller than everyone else or weird or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was something that was chosen for me by a, a social collective situation. Mm-hmm. So that's an external, right? And then there's internal things that we choose at the same time, which allow us to decide how to defend. But at the same time, we're responsible and we are capable of deciding how we're going to see this every mm-hmm. chance we can. But sometimes it's more complicated than that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we we learn... I mean, we all long to be loved. We all long Mm -hmm. to be accepted. We all long to have connection, right? And so what we choose as that experience normally comes from where we feel a lack or where we feel Mm -hmm. we need to act in order to obtain something that we desperately want or need. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we may want to walk in and smash the glass because we're angry, but mm-hmm. somebody else might be drinking from it and we want them to like us. So instead we're going to put pudding in it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And yet, you know, that might not be true to what we really want or need in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, we're always working through all of these filters. Mm-hmm. 
And so if we, you know, we can't plan for every incident or every experience or what may or may not come from walking into a room, as you were saying, but what we can do is understand who we are and then operate from that place, no matter where we walk into. Mm -hmm. So here's a big question for you, which I'm really, really interested in personally. So who we are, understanding who we are, that has like a lot of authenticity speech come into that, right? Which is like a big component to a lot of what I, we talk about on this podcast. And so I guess my, my biggest question is when finding out who we are, how do we know when we get there? I know that's such a <laughs> jerk <that>. question. <laughs> no, it, it's, not, it's not because, and this is the thing, and you know, Rogers talks about it so well in this idea of, you know, the, the good life. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that book from him, but he talks about how it really is a journey. There mm -hmm. isn't a set destination. I mean, I have clients come to me all the time and say, like, make me better, make me mm -hmm. happy. And it's like, okay, but that's not ultimately the goal of life. The goal of life is to continually grow. Mm -hmm. And so if we are all if we're never faced with an opportunity to go, ooh, I'm not sure I like this piece or I'm mm -hmm. not sure this feels okay. We're never going to progress and we're never going to change. We're not going to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so to say like, when do we know we've found our true self? It's when we're willing to continue to explore each opportunity as a new thing without that lens. And if that lens shows up to say, Oh, I see what's happening. This is a lens. Does this lens serve me? Does this lens not serve me? How mm -hmm. do I want to move forward? And the thing is, it's it's an ever changing, growing experience. It's not an mm -hmm. end point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Rogers. Rogers is, was like my main foundation from when I became a counselor. And I've quilted in other stuff, but the foundation will always be a Rogerian approach. Yeah. A lot of that has a deep respect of that client journey, right? About the self, because it is, you know, as Robert Piercing would say, it is about, or no, yeah, it, it's about the journey, not the destination. It's also a Jack Kerouac thing, actually. But whatever. <laughs> so, um, many. <laughs> so many people just say that, damn it. When are we going <laughs> to listen? But what I, what I like about that is it really plays into uh, what happiness and growth mean. Right. So what we know about happiness, happiness is not a state. It's not a static point where all of a sudden you're happy and you're smiling all the time and life is just joy. That's this freaking boring. Right. But what it is, is, you know, it comes from the Greek word eudaimonia, which means flourish. Mm -hmm. And flourishing is an act. Yes. It's the act of pursuing something that you find reasonably valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Maslow's with the threads. When, you're, when you've opened yourself up to be able to pull the threads of excitement or passion, yeah. that's flourishing. And you can only do that when you're willing to accept those threads. And I think that's a big part of it. Most definitely. Most definitely. And if you think about flourishing in nature, right? Everything has a cycle. Mm -hmm. It flourishes for a time and then it goes in for a time. It regenerates, it, you know, regrows, and then it flourishes again, and then it goes in, and that's that cyclical pattern, right? And so we flourish, but just because we're having that difficult inward struggle time doesn't mean that we're not still flourishing. That's right. Right? And I think that that's a really important piece, that flourishing is not just something that continually flowers and never mm -hmm. changes. It's about that cycle and that process and that allowing yeah, I really like that because that's dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. It's dynamic a lot, happiness. And I guess that's the self. The self is dynamic, ever-changing. Ever-changing. You're supposed to get angry, <laughs> frustrated. Right? You're supposed number, to grieve. Yeah, the number of times I have clients who come and they're just like, I just don't want to be angry anymore. And I'm like, your anger is serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. You're not listening to the, that purposes. What is the message it's trying to tell you? Mm -hmm. Like taking it into a spiritual perspective, there's a poem from Rumi that I just love, and it's called The Guest House. And he talks about like greeting each of these emotions, even the ones that we call bad, 
-hmm. at the door smiling, right? Mm -hmm. Invite them in, even if they completely clear you out because they're preparing you for something else, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's not about getting rid of or changing or negating or, you know, pushing away and not experiencing all of those negative pieces. It's about allowing everything, its process, its message, and its time. Mm -hmm. That's super important. I know I mainly do men's work. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the issues with vulnerability stems behind uh, the social messaging around sadness and tears and weakness and anything, anything that isn't anger, frustration and toughness, basically. And one of the things that comes up a lot, you know, which might seem counterintuitive to what I just said, is resentment. Mm-hmm. How resentment breeds from when you can't even express anger. So I, I know you, you mentioned being an EFT practitioner, so this is going to dance on that realm right now. But when you have a core wound and you're trying to express yourself, and your defenses are showing up and you feel dismissed. Well, if you can't present yourself with anger or tears, then that's just going to fuel resentment, which mm-hmm. is caustic. That's internalized anger. Well, and the big thing when it comes to, you know, resentment, again, is you're not able to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that there's a big piece here because a lot of times people go, well, I can't be authentic because of this, or I can't be authentic because of that. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, again, we're presented with a room, as you said. Mm-hmm. We choose how we show up. And so if in that room are people that we perceive we can't be authentic with, we choose to stifle our authenticity, Mm -hmm. right? It's not that the room innately forces us to do it. And so if we can come to a point where we embrace ourselves on such a level that it doesn't matter what the response is, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be authentic, then that resentment piece can start to be chipped away at. Mm -hmm. Because we realize that what we're resenting is not necessarily the situation, but our inability to remain authentic regardless of the situation. That's right. The inability to act is what's caustic and shame producing. It's interesting. uh, If we were to bring this into, I'm going to bring this into like the counseling world now, like Mm -hmm. people to people. Because what, what you see is, you know, as part of my own story too, when you're a child, so I'll just, I always talk about myself to bring people in. You know, I was bullied a lot when I was younger. And this happened since like a very early age. I remember my first incidence of being outcast. I was like four years old. Yeah. And what ends up happening, right, is that the people around me, so the environment itself couldn't handle my hyperactivity or my jouissance, as we used to say. Or joie de vivre. And so what they ended up doing was beating me down to kind of stifle that out. Now, that wasn't me. I wasn't like, I got to beat myself down to fit in. Like, that comes later. Mm -hmm. But the environment responded this way. So it afforded this sort of negative attention. So over time, as you encounter those waves of like bullying or outcast, you start to internalize that as a defense that says, okay, well, if I'm going to survive the social environment or if I'm going to try to be a part of this group, I can't be so weird. And then you do that long enough, and that's where the shame comes in. You then do that as a rule. So now you're entering the environment with this compass that says I can't stand out or I can't act because they'll view me as weird. Which Which says, you know, just to use your example, you enter the room and you think, I can't express myself here because I'll be kicked out or they'll think I'm weird or I'll be bullied or, 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 or. Mm -hmm. So now your lens has symbolically implied that in the room without you knowing and what you haven't learned yet. I think this is really big. It was big for me, continues to be, is that you're responsible for your own lens. You're not responsible for other people's responses to that lens. Yeah. And that's something you learn over time. So Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, and that's a huge piece, right? Because I think that we all not only carry our own baggage, but we will selectively pick up everybody else's baggage that we care about's opinion or Mm -hmm. thoughts or how they perceive us or anything else. And then we carry all of it. 
-hmm. And then we sift through and we're like, okay, well with this person, then I think that their perception of me means that I have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, I'm going to, you know, my lens is telling me I have to do this with this person in order to be loved and accepted. Mm-hmm. And then with this one, it's this, I have to be this way. And so we're literally always carrying all of this stuff. And as you said, that piece of understanding that we're not responsible for somebody else's perception is huge. Mm-hmm. But then we run into situations where it's like, okay, but in, in a very real way, how do I survive in the world if I don't have this person with me? Mm-hmm. In a real way, how do I move forward if I don't have the things that this connection or relationship or whatever um, allows for, mm-hmm. right? And so now not only are we dealing with these lenses, we're also dealing with real life circumstances and situations for survival, mm-hmm. right? And again, coming back to that like hierarchy of needs, you you know, which I'm not really sure is technically a hierarchy, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I'm with you on that. We'll that for now. <laughs> right? But to really look at, okay, how do I take off this lens and be authentically myself when if this person leaves, I might be in an actual like physical crisis in my world, mm-hmm. right? And how do I how do I balance that? And so this comes back down to that point, that point, that's not a word, point choice area right where and and everything that we do we have this choice point that we have to make a decision Mm -hmm. on how we're going to go into it and i think here is where we start with okay let's at least step back and be able to respond instead of react Mm -hmm. right and so there might be times where we do have to not necessarily be as authentic as we would like to be but at least if we're able to say okay i have this lens on and I'm not going to react to it, but I'm going to respond in a way that in this moment makes me feel safe and secure. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to move from there. And I think that that's really important, right? Because I don't want to negate the fact that there are times where we may not feel safe being authentic. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to work and operate through that lens mm-hmm. as long as we understand that we're making a choice to do so. And we're not just reacting to the situation. Yeah, it's and that's the reactive and active lens, which is so important in situations like this. And to further complicate it, because now we're like, we're getting deep now, folks, is (laughs) how the lens is created. Like, where is the quilting point, Lacan would say. The quilting point, which just means when all of the experiences have now quilted into a symbol, which these things now represent. Well, for myself, it happened when I was four, Mm -hmm. which means at 38, when I'm in therapy trying to work my way through this, the defenses are four years old. So the lens that they have is at a four-year-old level. And that doesn't mean immature or mature. That's not how it works. It means they were built with the chaotic maelstrom of a four-year-old. And I remember sitting in therapy, just uh, this example, and we're working through this and we're going through parts work, which is something that I work with a lot. And we st- we meet the defensive part of myself, which is like the suit of armor. And we're trying to figure out, well, how did it come? Where did it show up? And the minute we realize it's age, sadness shows up. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, not expected. And then when we try to talk to sadness or feel it, it becomes overwhelming. And then we can't session ends because we can't, we have to spend some time being able to exist in the sadness because it's been trying to express itself for 34 years. So that's a whole other thing. So when people are looking at easing our way into this authentic and being able to, to be active, it can't be understated that part of the work that's involved is acknowledging when this showed up. Mm-hmm. and the power that comes behind it yeah well that when and that why are so significant and like mm-hmm. you said that piece of you know we're finally sitting with something that we have had pushed away and guarded and protected and mm-hmm. have walls built around in your suit of armor for most of our lives mm-hmm. right and so it's like 
you know, when we talk about, you know, trauma experiences and things like that, I like to use the idea of like a, a filing room, right? Mm. And you go in and most things we have kind of neatly filed away. And whether they make sense or not, they make sense to us. <laughs> and so mm. they're in there. But then there are these traumas that are kind of like stuffed behind the filing cabinet. Mm. Some have like a secret hole in the wall behind a brick. Some are just scattered throughout the room. Mm -hmm. And when we try to sort through those, we get we can be completely overwhelmed by what shows up, mm -hmm. right? And so that self-compassion, that ability to, again, to say like, this is big and mm -hmm. I have to take my time and be compassionate with myself as I work through this. Mm -hmm. It is okay that I'm not okay with this right now. Yeah, you have to be very gentle. Yeah. And it's like, it's an act of self-love there mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, that happened and you feel it. Yeah. That's it, That it, you feel it. Yeah. it's uh it's literally the the counterweight propping up the filing cabinet so first thing i thought of when you said it <laughs> kind of like being at a restaurant with a wonky table and you use like a yeah. matchstick <laughs> yeah 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 and the moment you notice that matchstick and realize that eventually you're going to probably pull it out and everything is going to go sideways mm -hmm. is really really hard to face that's right then we come to a place where we realize the responsibility that we hold for our own well-being. Mm -hmm. It's no longer about all of these things that other people have done to us. It's really about, okay, this, this defense mechanism, this tool that I've used all of this time is now causing other issues. And I have to finally face something that I haven't been able to face. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. Yeah. That's a meal's from into itself. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. That's for the best. For the audience that can't see, we have a, a cat that just jumped in. So we have a sidekick for today's event. Yeah. We like and, to be. Yeah, that's right. You know, and one of the things we walk through with my, my own clients who's are, are very distant from their emotions, as is a personal journey that I have. Um, is that it can often feel like rushing water behind a dam. Like the minute you touch that, the dam's coming down. Yeah. And it's never, there's two things that can happen in therapy and this is entirely dependent on the, the rage behind the waters, as I say, mm -hmm. whether or not we titrate it. Yes. Or let the dam rush in. Because when the dam rushes in, for the most case, it's our body. So my own personal experience, it's my body now relearning how to grieve. Yeah. Because grief was like the one thing I wouldn't allow myself since I was a kid. And so my body doesn't know how to do it. It's not like something's broken. It's that I've never flexed that muscle before. Yeah. So it hits you like a ton of bricks and it's supposed to. And as my old supervisor used to say, eventually those waters will come as you get used to swimming in them, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But the first step is always terrifying. Yeah. And you often will feel like if I let this go, I'm going to drown. That's right. That's right. That's right. so powerful. And so, you know, we can talk about, you know, life jackets and we can talk about maybe we need a submarine. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> um, and, and I think that that's really where things like therapy and having those supports come in, that safe place to be able to allow ourselves to have those exposures to, sorry, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> to, you know, to the experience that we're so fearful of having. Right. And that we think this, this might just break me to the point where I can't get through it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we are able to have that safe place where we can, you know, decide if we're going to knock the dam down or allow for a little hole to start letting some things come through, um, at least, you know, having that, we don't feel so completely on our own. We have a lifeline and we have the ability to come back and plug it up if need be for a little while and then come back to it. That's right, it's still under our control and the support system, safe space and therapy is one of the best places to do that with the right counselor. That's a big piece. We talk about that a lot 
Um, huge piece. Yeah, the, <laughs> the therapeutic. An entire others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, because that involves having a safe space where you're not judged, mm-hmm. you're cared for, and you're allowed to process you because you're the expert. It's a big piece of it. And that's why the therapeutic relationship is so important, which I talk about in every podcast. So we won't, we don't have to <laughs> offload on that one this time. But I think what I, what I'd like to do now, cause like we got some really deep into that and I want to kind of explore what this has to do with core wounds. Mm. Cause you, you work with EFT. Um, and I'm not sure when it comes to EFT, was it from a Les Greenberg perspective or a Sue Johnson perspective? So I've done some work with Sue Johnson. Okay. The Sue Johnson perspective. Um, but I think when we talk about core wounds, and again, I, so because of my kind of spiritual perspective background, I like to talk about pain bodies. Mm, cool. And so we talk about these kind of core wounds as pain bodies that kind of resurface and come back up. And it's, it's almost like they come up to feed, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have these wounds that are so deep and we don't necessarily understand them, but we know when they're triggered because the pain body comes back up and it just, it wants to feed mm-hmm. and it wants to be heard and it wants to be understood for the pain that it's experiencing. And so even though we don't necessarily even know what the original wound is, and we can work on that and we can, we can, you know, go back and and look at that. One of the first things that I like to do is really look at where, where is this pain body coming up Mm. and, and what is it trying to feed on? Right. Mm. And as we look at that, we can get a better understanding of what's really going on under the surface. And how does that operate? So we're looking at like a pain body. Mm-hmm. And it, what is, so it's like, what it's trying to feed? What does it want? How does it, I might be adding to this. You can correct this one. How does it sustain itself? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And, you know, we talk about, so I don't know if you're familiar, there's an old um, Native American and I, I don't know, it's been accredited to a lot of different things. When I first heard about it it was accredited to a native american story where um a grandson comes to a grandfather and he says i have these two wolves inside it right and one wants to be okay and it wants to be happy and it wants to be at peace and the other one is just angry and it wants to tear everything apart um and it just it's destructive right and then he says to the grandfather like who's going to survive and the grandfather says well the one that you feed Mm -hmm. right and so with the pain body, normally what ends up happening is, let's say you're in a situation and somebody says something and it doesn't necessarily have to even do with you or the situation or anything else, but all of a the sudden there's a part of you that gets angry, mm-hmm. or gets hurt. There's a trigger there. And then what happens is the pain body comes up and it starts to say, they meant that about you. Mm-hmm. This is what they're really talking about. This is, this is what, you know, is, is really going on behind the scenes. Again, that narrative, right? That part mm-hmm. of us that has to make a story or make an excuse for why we feel the way we feel. And the pain body is great at doing that and making mm-hmm. us the victim in that moment. And then what ends up happening is if we don't recognize that this is just this part of us that's coming up to feed, we, we feed it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And we go, oh, yeah yeah, that's, that's what that person was saying. Oh, I'm, I'm really mad at them for that. I, you know, this isn't okay. And then all of the pain that is from those like core situations come up and the pain, the pain body kind of goes, I'm going to pull this back up. I'm going to pull that back up. And now they're piling it all on, even though we don't necessarily understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they're coming from that place of, of wounding that is all they know mm-hmm. but if we're able to say okay like what is it that is actually coming up what is the story that's coming up and what doesn't apply mm-hmm. what isn't really part of this what is kind of its own thing that's going on we're able to look at it and go oh wait a minute this is this is our dark 
core wound, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is that thing that's kind of under the surface, this belief of like, I'm not worthy, Mm -hmm. right? Because this person said this, I am all of a sudden way deep in this, I'm not worthy when that really had nothing to do with what was actually said. Mm -hmm. The pain bodies are springboarding off of the shame wound. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't necessarily say right up front, you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. It's going to pile on a whole bunch of other stuff and build a whole big story. But the underlying whisper that's happening is Mm -hmm. I'm not worthy. Got it. So it's almost like uh, what feeding is, is seeking and creating evidence for the core wound where evidence isn't being presented at all. Yeah. So what do we do with that? Well, I think the biggest piece is recognizing if -hmm. we're able to challenge it, right? You know, if, if you, if we're in this conversation right here, right now, and you say something and it triggers that for me, if I'm able to say, there's a part of me right now, that's not okay with that. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, there's something in what you just said, that's making me feel really hurt. And even if I'm confused about it, or I'm not sure I can say that I don't know what's going on right now, but Mm -hmm. I want to cry. Right. But again, it's that recognition piece and that acceptance and that self-compassion and that willingness to say, I'm not okay right now. Mm -hmm. And I, I might not know why, Mm -hmm. but I think that we get into this pattern of if I'm not okay, I have to wait for the story to come. Mm. Right. And the mind will make a story. That's right. That's (laughs) That's inevitable. Yeah. Um, but if we're able to acknowledge that hurt, whether the story's there or not, we can almost preempt the feeding of the pain body, mm-hmm. right? If I can sit here and say, what you said really hurt me and you, you know, well, what hurt? Well, this, this statement, okay, well, what does that statement mean for you? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it means this. And now we're getting into some core stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not about what you said. It's about my meaning of what you said. That's right. It's about how what you said affected me. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing because it's, it is about looking deeper into yourself about what happened. Yeah. And acknowledging it straight up. Which is yeah. calling it to the surface. Mm-hmm. So you bypass your pain bodies by calling to the surface the springboard they used to get here. Exactly. Exactly. But it takes a lot of confidence in the relationship mm-hmm. with the person that you're with. And I think that that is a really big piece because if we, if we act from that place of shame or we act from a place of unworthiness, we may not feel loved enough to be able to safely express what's going on for us. Mm-hmm. But if we understand that real connection comes from that authenticity, then we're able to say, I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big component of that. And I think one of the ways that I view it is the relationship that the relationship that I try to craft with myself and with everyone I, that I work with is the relationship with the self. Mm-hmm. So being able to understand, you know, it starts by understanding that there is no such thing as self-sabotage. Yeah. Right. The, those defenses are there for a reason. Then we explore that so we can be compassionate with that, which we've talked about quite a bit. But then being able to say something like, so if this shame piece is coming up, if I'm telling myself, you know, a, a personal example, right? I, I'm with ADHD and, you know, there's some things that I do that drive my wife friggin' nuts. And you know what? That's called for. Because <laughs> it can be quite annoying living with that. Sometimes we'll have a conversation where she'll need to talk to me about it because it's not fair mm-hmm. and I'll get super defensive. This is just my brain. What are you talking about? And part of my journey over the past year would be to separate myself from that response to say, okay, well, what is she actually saying here? Mm-hmm. And what am I actually responding to? And what I'm responding to isn't what she's saying. 
what I'm responding to is feeling like an outcast for having a different brain. And so from all the bullying and all the years of being outcast, I've built a pretty substantial concrete story about being outcasted, Mm -hmm. which makes it a murky water to see situation from situation to situation to see exactly what's happening as opposed to my reaction to what's happening. But when you can call on it and I can say something like, nope, I just, I'm still very hurt by being dismissed when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming I'm being dismissed now. Then you can start to see what's actually happening. Yeah. But a funny thing starts to happen when you have that relationship with yourself and you can call on it. Those pain bodies, as you were mentioning, start to get quieter and quieter and quieter. And that hurt for myself starts to get less and less and less because you understand where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And as I understand my where it's coming from and I understand my wife where she's coming from then that connection piece with her grows because I know we're not being outcasted I'm just being annoying (laughs) (laughs) which is fair (laughs) but that's the piece right because you've stopped feeding the pain bodies Mm -hmm. that's it you've stopped giving in to what they're saying and going yeah yeah I'm an outcast yeah that's exactly what's going on now she's outcasting me too just where Mm -hmm. I thought I was safe I'm being outcast again that's right. right. That's what the pain body is continually telling you. But if you're able to really look at it and go, no, wait a minute. <laughs> what you're saying is not actually true. I'm in a situation. My wife loves me. This is not what's actually being said to me in this moment. Mm-hmm. You've stopped feeding the pain body in that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And you start to challenge that core belief. That's right. And it will come up. It'll, what's reminding me of is it comes up a lot with people dealing with imposter syndrome. Right. If you're looking at being in like academic circles, I'm someone who has like a, a BA and two masters and I never felt like I should be there. Right. It's all these little pieces that show up. You're writing a paper and you're mm-hmm. you're in dialogue as being like, you're an idiot. When you submit this, they'll realize you should leave. Like at some point after like 20 years of education, you should be like, no, I'm right where I should be, actually. Mm-hmm. But it really depends on what you're feeding. And what's actually happening here is this this shame piece is trying to or in my case, protect myself from a four-year-old's disaster, right? And if I think about that, this is connecting some dots for me. So I'm going to start, I'm going to spitball here and we'll see what we can do with it. If I've built this narrative as a four-year-old, then using logic to calm myself out of it isn't really going to do much for a four-year-old. I can't have a logical conversation with someone who hasn't built a lot of language and a lot of life experience. So I'm now looking at it as a 38-year-old talking to a four-year-old defense and attempting to talk my way through it instead of, and this I think might be the kicker, so help me with this, feeling my way through it. Most definitely. I mean, if you think about a four-year-old, their reasoning brain isn't even done developing yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Everything is is action and reaction mm-hmm. and the feelings around it. And so if you can go into it, instead of saying, I logically know mm-hmm. that my wife is not attacking me right now, <laughs> but if you can look at it instead and go, I feel attacked, mm-hmm. where is that coming from? Okay. That feeling of attack is coming from my own insecurity around being an outcast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And breathing and I am a big fan of breathing right (laughs) so you get into that okay okay I feel like an outcast in this moment what do I need to not feel like an outcast Mm -hmm. you know what honey I need a hug and then I might be able to process this Mm -hmm. I need that connection I need to know that I'm safe right and what do you do with a four-year-old when they don't feel safe you bring them in you bring them close you let them cry Mm-hmm. and you let them know they're safe that's right that gave me goosebumps by the way uh it's it, it's really amazing because really what you're doing is when you can recognize oh this is a four-year-old's defense then you can think to yourself and this is the part where your 38 year old's brain can come in and go okay what would i have needed when i was four years old that would have made that better. And it's not a shame piece. You're not shaming anyone else. It's just looking back and going, okay, I understand that it's different now, 
But if I put myself in my own shoes at four years old, what would I have needed to make myself feel better there? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's the answer. And just like you said, you need to be invited in. Yeah. You need to be hugged. Hugged is a form of co-regulation and bonding. Which is a way to process emotions to understand that those emotions are okay. And I, I love the example of like when kids are having a tantrum, right? They're not having a tantrum because they thought it was a great idea to ruin your day. Or they were like, you know, she's got a headache. I think I'll scream at the top of my lungs. No. Yeah. <laughs> they're just reacting to the environment because they're. this is the first time that they were here. They mm-hmm. haven't felt this before. They don't know how to regulate emotions. That's our job. Yeah. And we can't look at a four-year-old and be like listen honey you're having a chemical reaction in your brain right now Uh, (laughs) you can't do that you have to hold them and let them handle it Mm -hmm. yeah which is the same thing we need to do and we need to do that with our four-year-old self (laughs) that's right that's right it's it's incredible it's incredible when that happens so let's wow we got deep today the emotions are flying all over me now so, so we've done this, let's say, mm-hmm. let's, let's tie this together. So we're looking at true self, meaning flourishing, working on healing that four self, that four-year-old self. Mm-hmm. What now? What happens now? So four-year-old self is, is brought in, is held and is included. Mm-hmm. Now you take four-year-old self hand, self's hand and walk it in and say, here, sit down on the, on the counter, <laughs> wherever mm-hmm. you are. Say you're in the kitchen. Sit down on the counter. We're going to work through this. And then in the moment that you're actually in, you thank the person that you're with and express what you need and your understanding of what they need because you're not reacting anymore. You're able to understand, just like you said, right? Mm. I am being annoying. <laughs> Yep. Okay. I'll be the I first to acknowledge that. <laughs> right? So I understand that I am being annoyed, annoying. I appreciate your patience with me. Let's, you know, think of a way to move forward from here. And we're showing our four-year-old self that it's okay. It's okay to address the pain. Mm-hmm. It's okay to address the reaction. And we're still loved and we're still safe, even in that moment mm-hmm. of uncomfortability. Uncomfortability. <laughs> that was a tongue twister if I ever saw it. <laughs> it's so not. I just can't sometimes. <laughs> right? But in that moment, the four-year-old can see that love and that connection when things aren't okay. And realize that it's still a safe place. Which then gives them more experience to learning not only how to express their emotions, but how to create safety. Which then leads into that flourishing piece, which is really what gets me excited about counseling in general. Mm-hmm. And my own journey in particular is, I've now lived a journey of a life at 38 years old with this particular defense and this particular wound. And now... Once it's processed, however long that takes, I'll be living in a different world with a different defense, with a different lens, something I haven't seen before. You know, it it reminds me of when when dealing with social anxiety and how I brought myself to the point where I was terrified about crowds and now thrive in them. Yeah. And how weird that was, you know, entering a Christmas party or, you know, when I went to India and was like in a market with 7 million people and how it was like (laughs) walking into a carnival of like smells and thoughts and thinks and all this stuff which was exciting Mm -hmm. and how five years earlier from that particular trip that would have been very similar to me like going to the guillotine yeah right so it presents once these things are are dealt with the world opens up Mm -hmm. but you also open up as well so that that self that is ever changing now gets a new road to walk on we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know where it's going to lead to. And that's part of the excitement, which is where that thriving piece comes in. Yeah, because you can walk into an experience and understand that it's an experience. Mm-hmm. And it could go a multitude of different ways. And that's OK, because you're going in for that experience. Mm-hmm. And you become your own safety point, mm-hmm. which I think is incredibly that's powerful. And I think that's I think that's partly what it means to be authentic. 
is recognizing that you are your safe space. And then the world is now open to you instead of closed off because you're defending yourself. Well, and that's such a, a huge piece because we, from you know the moment we're born, we learn to rely on other people for safety, mm -hmm. right? To understand what's going on around us, to navigate our reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and to change that is, as you said, completely freeing, but it is a huge complete change in in how we live our life mm. from moment to moment yeah which i think gives us so much i mean that's powerful in itself you don't know what's going to happen but it's it's going to be amazing to experience <laughs> yeah you know i had i've had conversations with clients before about trust <laughs> right and we talk a lot about you know i don't trust this person or i don't trust this situation and one of the things that I always like to come back to is, do you trust yourself? Mm -hmm. Right? Because if we really trust ourselves, then we trust that we're going to know if somebody else is being authentic or not. Mm -hmm. We trust that we're going to know if we need to stay or leave a situation. If we're able to really trust and listen to ourselves. That's right. This is, that's a wonderful quilting point way to bring it all together because that's the, that's what emotions are for. You know, mm -hmm. emotions are our radar in which we experience the world, kind of like a bat sonar. This is just emotions are there for that purpose. When they're stifled, we don't get all the experience and information to navigate. It's like yeah. one sided. So if you trust yourself, you know, if, as someone who's learning to trust himself, I can enter a room now and notice, yeah, I don't like the way this person just talked to me. Odds mm -hmm. are I'm not going to like that. Yeah. And then I can choose to navigate that however I want, because I know I'm also not holding back. Mm -hmm. So like the pain body, instead of feeding a pain body, it's an actual read on this person. I don't yeah. trust them. Forget about it <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Or the opposite. See someone, you're like, wow, they're cool. Awesome. Actually, I'm going to get to know this person instead of being like, mm, maybe. Yeah. Well, if I get to know them, they might hurt me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but, and it fits in so many other areas of your life, job interviews, career changes, something I deal with a lot is career changes, transitions. Mm -hmm. If you can trust yourself, you can navigate that a lot deeper. Yeah. Yeah. But it all comes down again to being in touch with what's really going on inside you. Mm -hmm. And that comes from allowing the range of experiences that we're here to have. That's right. And a hell of a lot of practice. And a hell of a lot of practice. <laughs> And a lot of surrender, mm -hmm. right? Like if I had to pick, you know, some key words for this, you know, compassion and surrender, mm -hmm. right? And then we just allow and we work through and we continue and we persevere and we come out the other side as somebody else. That's right. And then we do it all again. <laughs> That's it. It's dynamic. We move forward and we do it. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been great. This was a very deep dive both energetic as it was emotional, which is the point. So I really <laughs> appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this time. Awesome. And I want to give you just another shot to make sure the the audience knows where to find you because you're, you're, you're up to a lot uh, with a wealth of knowledge. And I think that it would be great for people to be able to, to seek you out. Well, thank you so much. Um, so you can find me by email at jennifer at myholisticself.com or on my website at myholisticselfcounseling.com on psychology today, just by looking up my name, Jennifer Jurkowski, which spelling that <laughs> it's J-U-R-K-O-F-S-K-Y. Um, yeah. You can find me on Facebook if you look up my holistic self and uh, those are probably the easiest ways. Awesome. And they can find your podcast on, on your main page, right? Yeah, if you go on to um, my website, myholisticselfcounseling.com, then I have a resources page and I have a bunch of different things in there. And one of them is videos and podcasts. And... Awesome. Well, all right. Thanks for being on the show. We'll definitely have you back and we'll, we'll take it from there. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, things to say, likes, whatever, just send them to me. Uh, my Facebook is couch.2.couch. 
on Instagram. Uh, and the, uh, everywhere else, you know where to find me. We'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>